This is the Old Republic Podcast. Spoiler warning for the Knights of the Old Republic series, Star Wars, The Old Republic, and all other media. This is where the fun begins. Let's remind the Jedi what happens when the weak seek to match metal with the Dark Lords of the Sith. Sir, from the surviving officer's reports, Lord Revan has gone down with the ship. He's still alive. Hello, everyone. We are back. I was so excited to cover Revenge of the Sith from a hero's journey perspective that I think we're doing this way earlier than we probably should. We are still, you know, plagiarizing the hero's journey podcast format. Uh, We burn for them. And yeah, so how are you doing today, Brian? (laughs) I am doing great. Um, I can attest to the fact that we're doing these a little quick. I think I was in the process of uh, watching Attack of the Clones or getting ready to watch Attack of the Clones. And you sent me a text and said, when are we recording uh, Revenge of the Sith? And <laughs> I thought to myself, <laughs> well, uh, I guess uh, soon I'll get these both watched. Uh, I've seen them a time or two. So uh, no big deal getting through the hero's journey steps. So, uh, yeah, it's it's just been really fun going back to uh, visit the prequels. Um, and then hopefully after... After this one, after we wrap up these three, I think we're going to take just kind of an exploded look at the hero's journey, you know, over the course of the the prequel trilogy, you know, kind of those the way that those steps line up when you're looking at the at the three films. But, yeah, I'm definitely excited to get into Revenge of the Sith. Um, you know, it was uh, one of my favorites from the from the prequel trilogy. I have a lot of fond memories of it, and it's always fun going back to revisit it and, you know, think about it a little bit differently in the form of the hero's journey so i'm excited excited to get into this i don't know when this is going to release um you know it's uh the middle of june right now this it could be like fall by the time this comes out i'm not 100 sure but uh let's get into it yeah so do you have any cool background deets on the film like awards yeah, absolutely. So there's a there's a bunch of fun stuff here uh, for Revenge of the Sith. So this was released on May the 19th in 2005. It was uh, written and directed by George Lucas, of course. Um, the title Revenge of the Sith is a playoff of the uh, original title for uh, Return of the Jedi, which was going to be Revenge of the Jedi. Um, then George Lucas changed it, uh, you know, with the statement that, uh, you know, Jedi wouldn't really take revenge. So, you know, it made sense to use it here um, kind of in this sense. Uh, revenge of the Sith was nominated for one Academy Award, uh, Best Achievement in Makeup, um, which I'm guessing is uh, going there for the uh, the end with uh, Anakin Skywalker laying on the uh, shores of Mustafar. Uh, that was Dave, Elsie, and Nikki Gooley were nominated for that. Um, I'm just going to throw this out there, Cassia. Any any earthly idea of what, what it lost to? So it was like 2005, 2006. Was it Memoirs of a Geisha? Uh, no, that was a very good guess, though, because that also came out uh, that that same year, which uh, won a lot of Academy Awards, but not this one. Um, it lost to the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe uh, there that year. So um, that's OK. That's OK. It didn't win the Academy Award, but it did rake in a lot of money. It was the number one box office domestically and the second highest uh, grossing film worldwide that year with eight hundred and sixty eight million dollars. Uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire took the number one spot there in the uh, worldwide box office. Um, And there's uh, some other fun stuff uh, here, too. So um, there was a little bit of foreshadowing uh, here. So in the original novelization for Return of the Jedi, 
uh, which came out in May of 1983. Uh, James Kahn wrote it, but one of the things that he uh, added to the novelization here was that uh, in the story, Obi-Wan is recounting his battle with Anakin, uh, who he says fell into a molten pit. So uh, there you go. That's a fun little tidbit for you. There was a bunch of stuff in that novel uh, that were were not correct or did not come to fruition, uh, but that one did, and I think that's kind of fun. Uh, we had a, a scene with Genevieve O'Reilly playing Mon Mothma, but it was cut, so it's fun to think that, uh, you know, this actress who got cast to play this role, uh, which never, you know, saw saw the actual, like, screen of the film, uh, is back to play that character um, all these years later in uh, Rogue One and Andor and stuff like that, so that's pretty fun. Um, and also, this was the first Star Wars film to be rated PG-13. Uh, all of the Disney Star Wars films have also been rated PG-13, but this was the first. So, gasp, PG-13, adult content coming. Yeah. Yep. It is. It's It's not your grandmother's Star Wars movie. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's for right. sure. That's right. All right. And we are going to do kind of like I don't know. It seems like the original trilogy, like when you're kind of like in high school and being taught like overarching like plot structure, like the the monomyth or the hero's journey, like that's brought up along with like Lord of the Rings and mm -hmm. Harry Potter, you know. But I would say like the prequel trilogy, even though it's a tragedy, kind of like maybe it should be brought up in conversation with the hero's journey because it's kind of like what maybe some some students have grown up with you know yeah i think it's um it's it would be an interesting case and you know certainly i am no uh film uh school students or you know writing students or you know any any great uh scholar of the monomyth uh here so i don't know really if this gets talked about at all or um you know, if it should be or uh, things like that. But what I think is really interesting here about this, and we'll get into this more when we talk about the prequels as a whole, are, you know, we've we've done this uh, same kind of format now for The Phantom Menace, uh, for Attack of the Clones, and now today we're doing Revenge of the Sith. And if you look at the prequel trilogy, um, obviously it's the story of Anakin Skywalker's, you know, f rise and fall, his turn uh, to Darth Vader. Um, but, you know, when we talk about The Phantom Menace, you know, we both had Qui-Gon as the main character in that story. Uh, we made kind of the argument that you could see, you know, Anakin or Obi-Wan as the main character um, in Attack of the Clones. Um, and then here it is Anakin Skywalker. But the three movies as a whole, it's it's very clearly Anakin Skywalker. So I think that that's interesting. Um, and it's also interesting just to dissect the hero's journey, um, you know, kind of on on the flip side of that i was actually i was watching this with my with my wife and i was telling her that this is what we were doing and she's like so who is who's the hero in this then is it is it obi-wan i'm like well no it's it's still anakin um because not all heroes right are on this you know what we would think as quote unquote the heroic side of the adventure so it's it's kind of interesting i think on that sense too yeah so even though it's like a tragedy like i do think that the prequel trilogy is Campbellian, is mythic. In some cases, I was like, wow, this seems more Campbellian than like four, five, or six at some point. It's interesting, but yeah, I guess before we fall to the dark side and just cover the hero's journey of Revenge of the Sith, how does Revenge of the Sith link to Knights of the Old Republic? 
Um, there, there are a couple of links that I, I kind of saw, uh, they're, they're pretty loose, but I think that, um, there's a couple things you can see, um, so the Knights of the Old Republic, kind of a big, um, kind of story trope for that, uh, timeline or, um, like these dark Jedi and, you know, Sith troopers. And we kind of see stuff like that, right? We see Anakin, you know, falling to the dark side and, and certainly there, those, uh, waters being muddied there. You see the clone troopers turn from, you know, good to evil, um, and kind of that, uh, Sith trooper kind of a role. So I kind of see that, um, I saw some parallels kind of in this, uh, master apprentice, uh, relationship and, um, how that works and how that falls apart and how ultimately, um, you know, it's kind of a battle for, for the soul of each of the characters. And I kind of saw that akin to uh, like the Malik and Revan uh, storyline. Um, and then kind of the, kind of the bigger one was um, actually, so this came out in 2005 uh, code War two came out in 2004. Um, and I kind of, I saw, you know, the, the teachings and the, the mentorship of Kreia kind of similar uh, to the way that Palpatine uh, was, you know, trying to to mentor and sway uh, Anakin and and the ways really kind of preying on his emotions, right? Not really giving him clear answers all the time. Um, you know, really trying to to kind of lead, um, you know, lead Anakin with his teachings. And I I saw kind of some parallels there uh, with Kreia. Um, we get to go back. We get to go to Kashik, uh, which is fun. Which kind of looks the way that Kashik did in the in the first game. So I thought that that was fun. Um, and I wanted to make mention because we, I think we both forgot it in the attack of the clones. Uh, but Manon is definitely a, uh, a riff on Camino, uh, for sure. It's just the bright and sunny side of uh, Camino. We to we both totally missed that. So I wanted to make sure I, I got that, you know, amended for the attack of the clones uh, episode there. Uh, but what about you? What, uh, I know I couldn't believe it either. I was sitting here uh, getting ready to press record and I'm like, wait, I totally forgot. Um, but yeah, what about what about you? Any uh, good uh, links to uh, Revenge of the Sith and KOTOR for you? So, yeah, you mentioned like KOTOR 2 came out in 2004. Like the whole Star Wars world was awaiting episode three. So excited for it. And one thing that some fans were like, is there a connection? Uh between Nihilus's mask and Grievous's mask, they kind of look a little mm -hmm. similar. I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. they do. But I think that's just more of like a Star Wars, like the mask looks cool kind of a thing. And I think like Disney Star Wars has kind of reached the apotheosis of like cool outfit, cool helmet, cool mask, Funko Pops galore, you know, but it's just a Star Wars thing, like cool yeah. masks. So. Yeah, that's that's even the uh, the Disney uh, Lucasfilm intro, right? Is just that like scrolling thing of the masks, the the little CGI masks there. So, yeah, and then the dark side kind of affects looks, especially in Knights of the Old Republic too. And some fans are like, "Oh, the dark side! It kind of happened differently in Revenge of the Sith." But I think part of it is also like, I think Palpatine is kind of like in control like he lowers the mask of like what he truly is when he needs to mm -hmm. i kind of think like that's what he always looked like but he kind of had to pretend to be like chancellor chief palpatine like until he kind of knew like he had anakin under his sway and was fully ready to take the revenge of the Sith, you know? Uh, what do you kind of think about the dark side affecting looks? Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly it's it's a good um, 
you know, kind of kind of piece of of filmmaking, right? So whenever you have a character that is uh, evil or um, on the bad side, or you know, a, a villainous character, you generally are, you know, you're portraying them in in darker clothes, you're lighting them, you know, more harshly, or in you know, blacks and reds, and you know, that's that's the same kind of thing here. Obviously, you think of like the the Sith like lightsaber, um, but then you also see um, things like that very iconic scene where. Uh, Anakin, or I guess Darth Vader, uh, you know, kind of turns towards the camera. I think he's at the at the Jedi Temple when that happens, and you know, his eyes are all uh, yellowed out, and it's it's really, I think, meant to kind of be indicative of you know looking into someone's soul, right? If you're staring into their eyes, um, you're seeing that his uh, soul has been corrupted, kind of in that in that moment. So, yeah, someday maybe we'll have golden dark side eyes again. I think they're just so cool. And, like, a really good visual indicator that someone is, like, not okay. I -hmm. guess, like, it is hard maybe some actors and actresses to wear, you know, contacts or makeup. But it'd be cool to see one day. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess, like, maybe this is just my personal opinion, but we always kind of, like, in Knights of the Old Republic... Uh, series kind of have like Jedi versus Sith but like for me like this is like the ultimate version you know we we see like the ultimate Sith Palpatine fight the ultimate Jedi Yoda you know and we just kind of see a deterioration between like Obi-Wan and Anakin like it's like if you turn to the dark side does Anakin lose influence with Obi-Wan Kenobi Mm -hmm. just something I think about yeah for sure yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, to think about think about the fall and the way that the way that that happens and the way that it was, you know, captured here on film and the the story that Lucas was telling. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty pretty fun stuff. Okay, and then I have two more. Revan okay. was an unarmed prisoner, and it's not the Jedi way to kill an unarmed prisoner. And stuff. I think like Bastila uh, when she when she kind of saves Revan. Because he was an unarmed prisoner, like, she's kind of fulfilling what the Jedi should do, not what the Jedi Council would do, but, like, what a what a Jedi should do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of a nice parallel. And then from episode one, I kind of missed this one. The swoop race really kind of evokes the pod race. And mm-hmm. after the swoop race, enslaved Bastila uh, was freed. Yeah, there you go. Kind of mirroring Anakin being freed. Okay, so after after that introduction, I guess, are you ready to dive into all things Knights of the... Oh, wait, we're, <laughs> we're doing Revenge of the Sith today. Are you ready to dive into all things Revenge of the Sith? I am ready to dive in all things Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, it was it was a long wait for 2005, and uh, it's been a long wait to get into the the hero's journey of Revenge of the Sith. I think so. Let's get into it. I'm gonna try to be poetic, you know, kind of evoking Matthew Stover's Revenge of the Sith novelization, rather than be like, and then this happens, and then this <laughs> happens. But yeah, like this opening crawl is my favorite. It just kind of starts out with war exclamation point and goes on to say that there are heroes on both sides evil is everywhere it kind of sets the the stakes that this is 
a galaxy at war that's kind of the uh, ordinary world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It ends. It starts with that crawl, and then you get the that very um, iconic kind of kind of ship fly over there. It's that that red and white uh, you know, star destroyer design. Um, but we're still you know in the in the Clone Wars times. So you get you get to see that, and it kind of pans over it, and then uh, down into you know this war that is that is waging and we finally catch up with uh anakin and obi-wan flying their ships there's some uh trouble with some buzz droids but they're headed to uh basically uh try to try to free palpatine right grievous has uh captured palpatine uh somehow some way i don't really know how that happens if you're the if you're the supreme chancellor but uh that's okay uh it happens and they're on their way to rescue him and that's where i had kind of the ordinary world um the ordinary world step one the hero is seen in their everyday life um yeah basically that whole first section right this is where the fun begins this is our ordinary world it's just a couple of jedis doing some clone war stuff uh easy peasy yeah i saw it the ordinary world as the opening crawl and rescuing the chancellor it's like star wars at its most fun and uh the tone it really is set like in that first scene it, it's very quiet like you see after the the crawl it pans down onto a setting sun and we hear a war drum and it's kind of silent and then we see these two fighters who are anakin and obi-wan and like they're flying totally in sync and they kind of go over the edge together and then you see like this massive star war mm-hmm yeah, exactly. The war is uh, full blown, uh, waging on. Right, we leave Attack of the Clones, and uh, you know they're in uh, Geonosis, kind of kicking off the war. And now we're we're seeing it, kind of the the full scale of of what's going on this uh, battle over top of uh, Coruscant. Um, and yeah, I really like that quiet kind of opening. Uh, you get the drums, and it it opens up, and then you know they crash land into into the ship, take out battle droids. Uh, R two is there. You know the the real hero of the story. You know he's also taking yeah. out uh, some battle droids and stuff but but yeah that's definitely um what i saw is kind of the um you know the ordinary world and then um for me then yeah, it goes pretty quickly into the the call to adventure because um obviously this is anakin's story and it's really the story of his downfall and i think that that uh inci initiating incident um at least for me was once they get to uh, Palpatine. Um, they have the fight with Count Dooku, uh, which I saw as all kind of the ordinary world. But then, um, when Palpatine uh, raises the issue of uh, going ahead and uh, taking off his head, uh, that to me was the uh, call to adventure for Anakin in this uh, dark side tale. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, I have my call to adventure a little bit later, but I think like this this prologue does set up kind of like a lot of the story going forward so it is important even if i if i don't think it's quite the call to adventure like the initiating incident of the story but yeah you you see anakin and obi-wan like last time in attack of the clones they weren't in sync when they took on dooku and that's why it ended horribly and anakin lost an arm but in this one they're just back to back and they kind of like are approached with like a Return of the Jedi esque setup, and mm -hmm. Palpatine uh, is there, and Count Dooku. We kind of later learn is Palpatine's test for Anakin. It's like 
can you kill my goldfish? Are you my replacement goldfish? And uh, he does. And when Obi-Wan and Anakin are separated, uh, we kind of see that Anakin makes bad choices. So Obi-Wan is kind of like unconscious under like some rubble. So Palpatine is usually the one that encourages Anakin to make bad choices. And then we see that uh, we see that Dooku is an unarmed prisoner, and it's kind of like Dooku like has both both blades, the red and the blue, kind of over his shoulder, like he's at Anakin's mercy, and Palpatine encourages it, and then Anakin's like kills him, and mm-hmm. then Palpatine says something important: he was too dangerous to be left alive. And Anakin replies, yes, but he was an unarmed prisoner. I shouldn't have done that. It's not the Jedi way. Yeah. Yeah. And I know I'm already uh, well ahead of uh, you here, but that's that's what I had then for the refusal of the call, um, which I which I think is, you know, verbalized by Anakin uh, there. Right. You know, the call to adventure is you know, uh, for me, at least was Palpatine saying, you know, do it, do this thing that, you know, is bad. And it's going to set you off down, down this path. That's going to carry out, you know, the rest of your, uh, kind of, uh, hero's journey, um, throughout the rest of the rest of the film. And then you kind of immediately have the refusal from Anakin, you know, he says, um, you know, I, I really shouldn't, it's not the Jedi way. Um, and then, you know, ends up doing it and, uh, has to deal with this remorse then through kind of this next section, uh, of the film, you know, as we're getting the ship landed safely uh, back on uh, Coruscant, well, at least half the ship anyways. Yeah, and we both kind of considered Qui-Gon the hero of episode one, and then we both considered Obi-Wan and Anakin as heroes of episode two, but this one I I was kind of hesitant to cover Revenge of the Sith until like I kind of remembered episode 71 we did the hero's journey with the hero's journal Mm -hmm. and kind of a point they made in that episode is the hero and villain's journey are the same they have the same steps everyone is a hero everyone is the hero of their own story but like so it's like even if anakin like kind of fails at being a hero in the ethical and moral sense like he's still going on a hero's journey even though he's like a villain right yeah absolutely he is he's still going on it's it's still you know the same steps you just have to kind of look at it it's like looking in a mirror right everything is still the same but it's just um you know the the image of it is is flipped right so it's it's the same kind of thing um and you know because you know because movies and because you know this is setting up the uh the original trilogy and you know we need obi-wan to be an important character that we're going to meet in in episode four you know he certainly gets a lot of screen time um so i i mean you could you could argue that uh, you know obi-wan is is as important as anakin here in this story um the big difference for me um in this versus uh, attack of the clones is that obi-wan doesn't really go through any sort of character change uh through this basically is the same uh kind of throughout uh this story um you know and, and playing up into uh a new hope um whereas anakin obviously is the one who's undergoing uh kind of this this change and transformation um in the story so really you know this one is dialed in as more of uh, anakin's story yeah so anakin uh goes to get 
Obi-Wan uh, out from under the rubble after uh, Dooku is taken care of and Palpatine's like, leave him or we'll never make it. And Anakin says his fate will be the same as ours and guess what? They all die on a Death Star eventually. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, their fates are kind of the same. But Grievous is kind of like after Dooku, it's kind of like there's another uh, villain, you know, for for the heroes to take care of. And he kind of makes it hard for them to escape the ship. Like he, he launches all the escape pods. Uh, so Anakin and Obi-Wan and the, the Chancellor are kind of forced to kind of like scramble through the ship and like uh, take a crash landing. That's right. Yeah, you get the you get the crash landing. There's actually a really cool um, shot that you're only able to do because this whole movie is done on a computer. Basically, um, you know, all of the all of the scenery and all of the the ships and um, even all of the the clone troopers. But you get a really cool kind of shot then when the ship crash lands and the the camera goes up and like into the cockpit of the ship and you see Obi Wan and Anakin and uh, Palpatine sitting there in the uh, in the kind of cockpit area. Can, control center of this the ship which i think looks uh really really neat and then you know safely back on uh coruscant uh like you get some kind of interactions here um with obi-wan which is actually uh leading into my uh step four but i'm gonna not get quite so far ahead of you um but basically they kind of part ways and obi-wan says something uh to the effect of you know i'm you know i'm not brave enough uh for politics i'm gonna go talk to the jedi council uh you go out there uh you go with these politicians because you get to be the poster boy uh which is you know exactly what Anakin was propped up as being basically right you know all the way back when Anakin says you know that or when Qui-Gon says that Anakin is the chosen one um has literally been kind of the the poster boy for the prequel trilogy for this story yeah and one question I have is like do you think Anakin knows Anakin wants to see Padme and is like I'm gonna like get out of the way so you can have your quote-unquote secret relationship yeah i think uh, that definitely there's some uh some knowledge uh going on there especially because then you see um anakin go over and palpatine's there and bail um is is there um Bail on, Mothma is there Ma Mothma Jar Jar you know every everyone is there except for Padme who is you know standing behind this pillar and then they they go over and they have have this kiss and um you know she tells them that she's pregnant and and stuff like that so I think that I think that yeah uh, Obi-Wan is is uh not that daft couldn't possibly be that daft and I think um well I guess I'd I'd have to go back and think about how the, it exactly overlaps with the Clone Wars, although we're not really uh, talking about that, but basically acknowledges that they're in that, that season, season seven and kind of the final arc. So, Yeah, and even though like some parts of Clone Wars, I'm not like wild about when it comes to Anakin's characterization. And because um, sometimes I feel like they try to make him a little bit like too much like Han. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I really just don't buy, I'm going to commit a, a heresy, a Clone Wars heresy. Like I kind of didn't really like Obi-Wan's relationship with Satine because it kind of wasn't more about his character. It was more about Anakin's character. And then mm -hmm. we kind of just learned about it. And then Satine's killed off for man pain. So I wasn't 
a fan of that, but um, the vibe I get is that Anakin uh, that Obi-Wan knows about Anakin and Padme. I, like, I don't know if he knows they're married and like having babies, but uh, he know he knows something is up, but I think he just ignores it because he's just such a, a good friend and considers Anakin a brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. But yeah, she's pregnant. Grievous uh, travels to Utapau and Lord Sidious informs Grievous via hologram that the Separatist leaders are going to be on Mustafar. That's where they're moving. That's where they're hiding. And Palpatine is already pretty sure that he's going to have a younger and more powerful apprentice. Like, right after Dooku, like, died. You know, like, he he's the one who killed him off. So he's so, mm-hmm. he's so sure of himself. So... And I guess, like, when it comes to Anakin, like, I think he knows exactly what what cards to play. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, so we're back on uh, Coruscant. There have we have we gotten to? Um, you know, I've ar- I've already been through my call to adventure and the refusal of the call. Um, what it, then is your call to adventure, Cassia? We kind of see Anakin and Padme being all lovey dovey and. Anakin's like you're so beautiful, and then uh, Padme. He has a little like, more so... chill this time. He has a little more chill this time. A little, you know, and and Padme's like, so love has blinded you, and then that's like, if I were hosting a screening, I would pause it and I'd be like, yes, it has <laughs> blinded him. They're saying it in the dialogue, so you understand that. Uh, like I, I probably like. I don't know, like, I, I love the prequel so much and we get so excited and people would be like, yeah, I think I'm going to skip that screening, you know. Uh, she's probably going to talk about the hero's journey and stuff for, like, a few hours, so we're going to skip that. And then right. we see Anakin uh, in bed and then we actually get to see Padme's suffering uh, in a dream, which mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. is a step up from Attack of the Clones. Rather than just being told what we're seeing, like, and we see Anakin's kind of like go on the veranda and he really doesn't want to talk about it. But Padme says, like, how long until we're going to, like, you know, be honest with each other? And he says, like, I saw that kind of like a dream like I had, like, with my mom that you're going to die in childbirth and, like, I don't know about the child. And Padme is like, it's probably just a dream. And uh, Anakin says, I won't let this one become real. So that is my call. Anakin has a dream of a dying Padme. And that's what I see as the initiating incident of the story. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. That certainly is um, a, a good initiating incident in the terms of um, that's really what Anakin is going to be. Um, you know, the the path he's kind of falling down. Yeah, so that's interesting. I actually had um, this kind of section here as my uh, meeting with the mentor. Um, as I mentioned, you know, he's literally, you know, splitting from uh, his old mentor, uh, who is, you know, Obi-Wan had, there on that landing platform is, uh, you know, basically they're uh, separating themselves then for the rest of the film as he goes to the Jedi Council and um, Anakin goes in uh, with the politicians and, uh, you know, Palpatine and and Padme. So, um, uh 
mine, I'll just run through this here real quick. The meeting with the mentor, the hero gains the supplies, knowledge, and confidence needed to commence the adventure. Um, so I kind of looked at that a little bit as the opposite, right? So he's still gaining um, kind of knowledge, um, but really it's it's not a matter of uh, getting confidence. It's more of a lack of confidence. Um, so I really saw that that vision uh, of Padme, you know, dying in childbirth as, as that, as the counterpoint, uh, to confidence. Um, you know, so he's, he's getting the knowledge of her pregnancy. He's having that vision. Um, and really he's starting to have kind of this, this self doubt as opposed to the confidence that you'd normally see in, uh, step four of the meeting with the mentor. So that's kind of where, where I had that. Yeah. So I have the refusal of the call, like right after, um, Anakin goes to see Yoda and so it's like Anakin's trying to be a good Jedi and uh, the refusal of the call step is the hero experiences some hesitation to answer the call he's really trying to be a good Jedi here Anakin needs to be honest but he can't fully be honest which is probably a problem and Yoda kind of just offers bumper sticker wisdom. And it's like, be like, let go of everything you're afraid to lose. And it's like, that doesn't really offer solace to someone who's afraid to lose their wife in childbirth. But like, mm -hmm. Anakin isn't being honest. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's not a, not a good situation. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, he goes and has that meeting uh, with Yoda, which I actually had as my uh, step five. I'm so far ahead of you now. Uh, it's wild. <laughs> but uh, crossing that first threshold, the hero commits wholeheartedly to the adventure, um, which you just mentioned. Um, yeah, so I had that meeting uh, with Yoda there as you know, he Anakin is is committing to the fact that he wants to wants to save, you know, Padme, he even goes on to say as much, you know, I won't let these visions come true, uh, Master Yoda, right? He's really doubling down on the fact that he's going to figure out how to uh, not let her die, just, you know, the same way that, uh, you know, he feels that he let his, his mother die. And I think that that's really um, a sign of commitment to this journey for Anakin, who's, you know, really taking you know, this, this knowledge of his, you know, secret life, his, you know, secret wife and secret child, um, to master Yoda, the, the literal, you know, top, top dog of the, of the Jedi council, you know, if he's willing to go and expose that part of himself and his life to, you know, someone like Yoda, who would be, you know, ultimately the, the highest authority of, you know, these bad things or quote unquote bad things uh, that he's done in the, in the eyes of the Jedi council. I think that that was really him showing his commitment uh, to this adventure. Yeah. Those are good points. And after Anakin meets with Yoda, uh, we learn that Palpatine has been given more executive powers and that Anakin was requested by Palpatine. And Palpatine is like, I hope you trust me, Anakin, because I trust you. And... I want you to be my personal representative on the Jedi Council. And Anakin's kind of blown away, like uh, someone believes in him and he goes back to the Jedi Council and he kind of tells them, like, Palpatine wants me to be a master. And it's kind of like a meme at this point, but uh, 
Mace Windu is like, yeah, you're not a master. Like, take a seat, young Skywalker. It's kind of like an off-the-book spying job. Like, and if we didn't know that Palpatine was the villain, like, it'd be gross. You know, it's like Jedi aren't supposed to do this, you know? Like, right. It, it's morally questionable. So do you think Obi-Wan should have told Anakin about the off-the-book spying job, like his job was to spy on Palpatine for them? Um, yeah, that's that's hard to say, right? Because you have, obviously, Anakin's very negative uh, reaction to it. And, you know, Obi-Wan's even kind of telling him very sheepishly about it. So I don't know. Would it have been better not to have told them? Um, I guess on one hand, you say that, that yes, you you keep Anakin in the dark and then that's good. But then on the other hand of it, I don't know if you're gleaming that much information from Anakin then, or if he'd be telling you things that you needed to know. So, so yeah, that's, that's really kind of the catch 22, right? It's, it's really putting, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan both in, in pretty bad situations, right? Because obviously it's making Anakin then, you know, distrustful of the Jedi, the Jedi council, maybe even Obi-Wan it's, you know, putting Obi-Wan at odds with his, um, you know, with his apprentice and, uh, you know, friend uh, here. So, yeah, so it's it's really, there's really uh, no good way to get about doing it. And uh, that's exactly, you know, the the hand that Palpatine had dealt, right? He was, you know, kind of sowing these seeds that were going to eventually kind of come up and butt heads against one, one another. And, you know, it, it played out exactly like he wanted to. Yeah. Palpatine wanted to create this awkward situation. So, like... Uh just the trust kind of breaks down and just Anakin feels like everyone wants him like for political reasons. And then Yoda's going to, to help the Wookiees. Uh, so we kind of see like, I call him a little bit like the Jedi trio. We see Yoda, Mace and Obi-Wan kind of like they talked in two, you know, and they're like, Yoda and Mace are kind of like, is he the chosen one? And Obi-Wan has faith in Anakin. Um, but it's it's kind of key on, I think, Palpatine's part. Like, he wants, Anakin, he wants Anakin to be isolated and, like, Yoda, who's a powerful Jedi, off of Coruscant to um, kind of further some of his... Uh, executions you know like later down the line so as i Mm -hmm. as i kind of watched it i was like oh palpatine is is kind of like methodically planning this out and um he is the senate you know so yeah yeah for sure um but yeah palpatine you know basically you know kind of self-appoints anakin to be his own uh personal representative of the on the uh, Jedi Council, and then you have uh, that ultimate kind of kind of blow up. You'd mentioned, you know, kind of that meme there, where uh, you know Anakin's going to get seated on the on the uh, Jedi Council, but he's not uh, given the rank of Master, and it's this whole blow up with uh, Mace Windu. Uh, you have kind of the the spying uh, stuff there with Obi Wan, and uh, then he even goes and uh, talks to uh, Padme about um, you know kind of this and how outrageous it is and uh, how ridiculous it is, and you know she's talking to him, and I I forget the exact line. I was trying to look it up, but you know he says uh, something to her again that you know that sounds uh, that sounds like. Uh, you're starting to sound like a separatist or, or something as she's, you know, kind of bad mouthing, um, you know, 
Palpatine and and kind of the push and these extra powers that he's that he's taking. So I had kind of this section actually then as my uh, step six test allies and enemies. Um, I think that test is uh, really Palpatine, you know, testing Anakin's allegiance to uh, the Jedi Council here. Um, you know, the hero explores a special world, faces a trial, and makes friends and enemies. Um, obviously now at this point he has made the friend of uh Palpatine. Um, and his enemies are. Uh, basically uh, his former friend. So I mentioned, you know, Mace Windu, kind of that that little uh, tuffle with uh, Obi-Wan over the spying. And then uh, even here as he's kind of lashing out at Padme. Um, so I really saw this as uh, step six here in my hero's journey analysis. Wow. Usually I'm the one who's like so far ahead. So it, <laughs> I it's know, kind of nice know. to be on the other side. So well, and it's um, it's so and it's so interesting. Um, if anyone out there listening is ever ever going through this, um, this one for me at least was tricky because really, as the step four, of the meeting with the mentor, um, really you could place that almost any time that Anakin and um Palpatine are talking, right? Is this meeting with the mentor? So it's easy to that one's kind of on this like the sliding, uh, scale of things. So depending on really where you want to place that, I think is going to kind of kind of guide your hand and how you lay out the rest of this uh of this adventure. So um, but yeah, yeah. that's that's that was what I saw there is the uh the test allies and and enemies because really the enemies of Anakin Skywalker in this are you know the Jedi Council of Obi Wan of uh Padme of of the younglings of you know all of these people so um i i feel like it's right here where that that kind of clicks into place for anakin yeah i i think that palpatine is constantly manipulating and buttering up anakin and being like i can trust you let me impart wisdom to you let me listen to you um, but i do have a specific instance that i do think is the meeting with the mentor but i am Glad that you kind of brought up that Anakin and Padme have that scene on the veranda. Uh, and Padme, I, I am kind of sad that uh, her political mission kind of like forming what would be the basis for the Rebel Alliance was deleted. Like I understand it is Anakin's story, but mm -hmm. she did kind of have a role, but it was deleted. So it is kind of sad, but you kind of just see kind of like Anakin Padme. It's kind of like Anakin feels strained. Like everyone just wants him for his connection to Palpatine. Um, but I think like Padme has more of an open mind, you know, politically and is like, we've tried war. We should just like try to listen to the separatists and like have a diplomatic solution, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And that kind of, they kind of end that and it's just like just hold me like you used to on Naboo and I'm like oh it's such a pretty picture um <laughs> it's a it's a beautiful frame so and then we get to the opera or is it a ballet um it's at the it's at the Corsanti like opera mm -hmm. house mm -hmm. Corsant mm -hmm. opera house um yeah we have an ominous choral arrangement and Palpatine says that Grievous has been found on Utapau, and Palpatine's like, "Oh, they they didn't choose you. They should have. You're you're super awesome, you know." <laughs> right. So it's kind of like the Spider-Man meme, pointing of no trust, like Anakin and Palpatine and the Jedi Council. It's like you don't trust <laughs> me. We don't trust you. You know. It's like 
it's like kind of just a morally gray uh, situation, you know, and um, it kind of just seems like the Jedi and Sith, like they're kind of just like utilizing things to their own ends, you know, and like the Jedi Council should be probably doing things better. But mm-hmm. um, when Palpatine kind of, when Palpatine tells Anakin the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise, and kind of tells him like this this Sith had power over life and death. Like I saw that as a dark mentor. So mm-hmm. my meeting of the with the mentor, me, my meeting with the mentor, which is the hero gains the supplies, knowledge, and confidence needed to commence the adventure. Um, I saw it as Anakin and Padme at the opera, and it's kind of a dark reflection of that. And yeah. where I put crux. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. That's that's a really valid uh, place to um, to put that uh, that section is the meeting with the mentor. Um, and that was when I was just thinking about this before I watched it. That was kind of kind of what I thought as well. Um, spoiler: I ended up putting the opera scene as uh, my step seven, the approach to the innermost cave. Uh, the Ooh. hero nears the center of the story in the special world um, because that's that's really kind of I guess I guess validating. Uh, Anakin, he's really kind of in the in the uh, belly of the beast. Then, uh, you know, with this uh, very you know kind of opulent uh, uh, scene with uh, Palpatine and this uh, this opera, and you know, learning uh, that story. But but yeah, I, I I do like and agree that this also is a meeting with the mentor because he's you know gaining that knowledge and and the confidence to to go through and uh, the ability to hopefully save uh, Padme. So I definitely uh, definitely kind of see. Uh, your reasoning for that and I uh, definitely agree with it but that's just not not where I landed on it um, it is interesting though to think I was just pulling this up to look so um, that uh, that particular scene uh, the opera scene happens about 45 minutes into the film uh, mm-hmm. so about about the first third so uh, that would that would kind of make sense I think we lose a little bit of time then on Anakin's story because we spend so much time on Utapau, uh with Obi-Wan uh, here later in the story. But but yeah, uh, that's really good stuff. And obviously that scene is uh, very monumental and uh, all that stuff. So Yeah. And then my crossing the first threshold, um, it's kind of like kind of a few scenes for me because Anakin, when he is told by Palpatine about... Uh, Plague is having power over life and death. Like he says, is it possible to learn this power? And Palpatine says, not from a Jedi. And so I think that kind of gets Anakin's mind opened to maybe Jedi aren't the way, you know? So mm-hmm. it, it gets it, it he's he's kind of questioning things. And I'm kind of glad that Clone Wars Season 7 exists because I used to think this movie took place over weeks and months, but it's literally three days. But we see that Obi-Wan is going to Utapau and Anakin's like, oh, the Chancellor wanted me to go. And like the Jedi Council are just like, shut up, Anakin. You're not, you're not going. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. I go, oh, Okay. And I just need to say that Revenge of the Sith has better CGI than a lot of current films that are coming out. Just look at the Skyscape 
and the cityscape it it's beautiful and maybe some people are like oh george lucas relied too heavily on cgi but i'm like at least he was kind of like he was pushing like cgi forward even more than than some modern films i think and like he gave his um artists like they were included from the start you know and like he gave them enough time to to finish their work so it looks pretty good for a 2005 film that's that's what i think yeah by and large yeah i think that it looks pretty good i think especially the stuff on on coruscant looks looks probably the best of the stuff um and there was a lot of that stuff in attack of the clones too so um you know probably were able to to learn a wee bit of uh lessons and stuff from from doing that and the extra render time some of the some of the stuff i don't know um doesn't look look quite as good i don't think but yeah by by and large yeah for uh the 2005 it looks uh, pretty excellent all around yeah so it is after that aside it is very smart that uh palpatine is leaving anakin all alone with mace like the person who dislikes him the most and we have that that scene between anakin and obi-wan saying goodbye as friends and obi-wan is in the light and anakin is in the dark and it's a scene that just makes me sad and it's like I feel like Anakin really really is trying and Obi-Wan uh does believe in him you know and it's like when you separate them Anakin is going to be manipulated and I mean also make bad choices of his own volition but it, it's just sad <laughs> it is just sad that's right yeah the downfall now is in in full swing it's coming the ball is rolling uh there is no stopping it um but it might be time to to stop to uh check in uh grab a coffee i don't know what do you think one second because i i'm there with you so before obi-wan did leave to utapau he visited padme because like Anakin is at Padme's apartment and he can kind of sense that Obi-Wan was here. And I am so grateful there was no love triangle. Like I think in some treatments of the script, there were hints of that, but they just were like, no, it's stupid. And in the early two thousands, like love triangles were all the rage, but I'm just so glad we, we didn't have one. And Padme says, Oh, he, he was worried about you. And Anakin's just like saying like I I just feel like I'm I'm not the Jedi I should be and but I am going to become the most powerful Jedi ever and I'm gonna stop it like you're not gonna die and Anakin cuts over Padme and says no I promise you you won't die and that's where I saw um it's kind of like from Anakin goes from is it possible to learn this power to no, I promise you to Padme, like, this won't become real. Um, mm-hmm. That's where that's where I kind of saw the crossing of the first threshold. So, yeah, Star okay. Wars wouldn't have happened if women's health care and therapy existed in, <laughs> that's in right. Star Wars. Absolutely. That's right. And on that note, I guess, like, do you think the Coruscanti Opera House has a, has a coffee bar? 
Um, I would assume there's some sort of uh, tasty uh, refreshments there at the opera. You know, you're watching those big uh, spheres of water. You're probably going to going to get a little thirsty watching this thing. So, yeah, I think it's about time to uh, retire here at the end of Act 1 and uh, go grab ourselves a coffee or hot chocolate or uh, Corellian ale or uh, something and check in with what we've been uh, getting up to reading and watching stuff. Yeah. So that's the end of Act 1. So I feel like you were kind of waiting forever. So I'm sorry that I was just kind of, you know, behind you this time. Um... Oh, no, <laughs> no, it's it's totally fine. Yeah, like I, I had a I had a really hard time with placing the the meeting with the mentor. And then obviously I I placed that kind of, you know, that that first, you know, more or less interaction there with them. Um, yeah, just because I thought that it lined up. But yeah, that, that one was. That part of it was uh was tricky for me to to come up with, but yeah, I don't know. Interesting. So now we we can take a break from the complexity of Revenge of the Sith. So, what have you been watching, reading, playing, or or doing in your downtime? Yeah. So, uh, well, so I've still been I've been reading the uh the Heresies. You know, getting going on our episodes of that. Uh, we should have had the Heresies for Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones out. Uh, by now and look for the heresies of this one and then we're going to be uh, getting into a, a different book and a little different uh, uh, theme kind of when we get to the original trilogy so I'm going to be uh, starting up on that here hopefully in the next couple of days um, what else have I been doing I finished up watching the marvelous Mrs. Maisel which was uh, excellent I really liked it uh, that came to a very fulfilling conclusion I liked that um, I finished uh, love and death which was a mini series on on HBO and uh, that was pretty good and uh, now I'm just gearing up for for summer basically you know I've got some family coming in to town so I'm spending more time outdoors and uh, doing those kinds of things going to Charlotte FC uh, soccer games uh, is a good time uh, I've not been playing Jedi Survivor still, uh, not had any uh, chance to do that. So hopefully, hopefully that'll be soon. Hopefully the next time we do uh, one of these uh, end of act one uh, coffee uh, breaks, I'll have played a little bit more of uh, Jedi Survivor. But what I have been doing is watching the Indiana Jones films, getting ready. Dial of Destiny uh, comes out here in just a couple of weeks. It's probably already been out uh, by the time you're listening to this, but uh, getting getting pretty excited for that going back through the uh, the four Indiana Jones films and uh, gearing up to go check out uh, Dial of Destiny. But uh, that's what I've been up to. Cassio, what have you been doing uh, since we last spoke here about Attack of the Clones? Yeah, so I finished my Indiana Jones rewatch. So it, it's a fun, it's a fun series to revisit and revisiting Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I was like, this isn't as bad as I remembered. So maybe you'll have that uh may or maybe you'll be like this is worse than i remember like <laughs> everyone's perspectives are different but yeah like i'm having a fun like uh vanilla coke zero with coconut creamer one of these days you're gonna try mm -hmm. it and you're gonna be like cassia has has bad taste but uh <laughs> i love it you know <laughs> That's that's true. Well, uh, here's a spoiler. I really don't like coconut, so I'm probably never going to try it. I'm just going to have to assume you have bad taste. Okay, that's an interesting <laughs> thing that I think you've told me, but I'm like, really? <laughs> coconut? You don't like it? But okay. Um, <laughs> so I watched The Edge of Darkness. It came out in 1943, yeah. and it was about Norwegians 
resisting uh, the Nazi invasion that happened there. And it starred Errol Flynn. And, and what was interesting is that when this came out, like, we didn't know, like, it wasn't 1945 yet. Then the Nazis hadn't surrendered. Uh, the Axis hadn't surrendered, you know, like it was, it was written and filmed during a time that a lot of these things, like you're like, it could go, we, we don't know the result, the results, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. so that, that was interesting. I'm going to have to, uh, to go check that out because, uh, another thing that I, I haven't finished it yet. I've only watched the, the first uh, part of it. I think there's three episodes, but uh, I just started the U S and the Holocaust, which is a documentary uh, by Ken Burns and uh, Lynn Novick and Sarah Botstein. It's on, um, it's on PBS. So if you have a subscription to, to PBS, I think it's like three ninety nine a month or something like that. Um, you can watch that, or um, I think you can do that uh, subscription through uh, Amazon too, but uh, watch the first part of that. It's really excellent um, as a big fan of documentaries and uh, Ken Burns documentaries are always uh, really well done um, and very, you know, poignant and important and stuff. So I've, I have watched the first episode of that. So I'd recommend checking that out if you're into, into history and documentaries and that kind of ties yeah. into that film you were just talking about there, Cassia. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I think you recommended it and I have heard of it. Um, so, so that is on my list and I did end up seeing Across the Spider-Verse three times. Um, I saw the original Into the Spider-Verse three times in theaters, and I was like, it it fits, you know? So I saw it twice in IMAX, and then mm -hmm. third, like, on a standard screen, but I just wanted to get ready for our Across the Spider-Verse episode. I'm so excited for Hopefully it all works out, but... I did also watch Far From the Madden. See, I said it wrong. I always thought for years it was Far From the Maddening crowd, mm -hmm. but it is Far From the Madding crowd. And it's based on a Thomas Hardy novel. And you know what? Good for her. Like, she has three men vying for her hand. You know, it's like, good for you. Uh, <laughs> good for you. Great. That's right. But, um, I also, after my Indiana Jones watch, um, I, I've i been watching the Lord of the Rings movies. Kind of have to break them up, like, because, like, they're, like, three-hour movies, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so I break them up, see part, one part of, like, I'm in the middle of Two Towers right now. Um, and I'm just kind of, like, blown away by um lord of the rings um i didn't really grow up with it like i've only seen them a few times but when this came out like i'm guessing like it was kind of like when the original star wars came out in 1977 like the effects look good it looks beautiful shot on location in new zealand it's gorgeous love it and even some of the cgi in the two towers and the fellowship of the ring. I'm like, this is so much better than some modern films. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, there, yeah. There's definitely a, you can definitely tell the amount of uh, time and care uh, they put into, into that stuff. And I mean, I, CGI is, is still very expensive and it still takes a lot of hands to, to get it to come to fruition. But, you know, especially then it was, you know, 
so expensive and time consuming and things. So if you really wanted to do it well, you really had to commit to doing it. So. Yeah. And then my grandfather, uh, he's awesome. Uh, he, he's in his eighties, but he read Sapiens and he, he took notes on it. He has the, like the explained notes on Amazon too. And my grandfather also like when he loves a book, he orders like 20 copies and like gives it to friends and family and people who stop by. Um, Oh, cool. yeah. So he gave me a copy of Sapiens and I started it. It's so interesting. It's by Yuval Noah Harari. And there's also like the Sapiens, a graphic history part one and two. So I'm just trying to read that so I can, uh, talk to my grandfather about it when I'm done and uh, maybe we'll have a little book club. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think we're being kicked out of the Coruscanti, um coffee bar because they're like, is she drinking a soda? And literally did she put coconut creamer in it? Like we're against coconut here. So That's right. I'm going to side with the uh, Coruscanti uh, ushers at the uh, opera house and say coconut cream out of here. So, yeah, let's get back. <laughs> let's get back into the story. Yeah. So act two, test allies and enemies. The hero explores the special world, faces trial and makes friends and enemy enemies. And what I kind of saw as the special world is Mustafar. We keep on hearing about it, but we won't get there quite yet. Um, I just kind of see like Anakin is dealing with the Jedi Council, Padme and politics, and Yoda's on Kashyyyk, and Obi-Wan is on Utapau. They're all busy dealing with their own stuff, uh, but Anakin is just like seeing this new side of Palpatine and Palpatine's constantly just being there for him, and Mace is like, I hate you, Anakin, go away. That's what I kind of saw as <laughs> test allies and enemies. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, those are those are definitely some uh, some allies, uh, turned enemies, uh, frenemies, uh, kind of thing. So so that makes a lot of sense. Um, as I mentioned, I um, you know my test allies and enemies were uh, there when he was not uh, granted the rank of rank of master. But yeah, they both kind of uh, involved uh, Mace Windu in that turn of of approval um, there for for both of us in that step six. Yeah, one question I have for you is. What is your favorite Star Wars soundtrack by John Williams? My favorite Star Wars soundtrack by John Williams. Um, let me think. I I really like the soundtrack for The Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like the soundtrack for The Phantom Menace. Um, if I'm probably listening to one, it's going to be either of those two. But in terms of the soundtrack within the film um it's revenge of the sith um especially i've always really liked um i don't even know what the what the uh title of it is but you go through um you kind of the end of it where you have uh anakin's anakin's dark deeds and then um you know kind of the kind of that whole like like fall section battle of the heroes and then um kind of the i don't know if it, i don't know if it's called like the 
end credits or whatever the the title of it is but where it's going through kind of all of the the star wars themes basically as it's you know culminating into into the credits coming on so um yeah revenge of the sith uh in terms of the one that's pairing up with the film is is my favorite one to to listen to while i watch i guess if that makes sense so yeah that's that's so cool i i didn't know that uh but revenge of the sith is my favorite john williams soundtrack like i think kind of when he gets to the third installment of a trilogy he we we kind of like know the themes that have been established and he kind of gets more experimental and i mean i i grew up with the prequels uh the original trilogy kind of has that romantic orderly sound kind of like because it's like an age of empire you know uh and the prequels kind of have more of a chorus uh throughout mm-hmm. and it's kind of more percussive you know kind of because i think the force like is kind of like kind of being like a greek chorus you know and uh it's more percussive it's more free uh so yeah, that that's kind of just a, a fun side note. I love John Williams and and his uh, composing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, there's there's no wrong answers for for favorite John Williams thing. Even if you step outside of side of Star Wars, I mean, you have you know Jurassic Park, E.T., um, you know Jaws, Schindler's all list. of all of the things. Schindler's List, um, which I think he won an Oscar for, um, mm-hmm. for all three of those. Um, uh, he didn't get nominated for an Academy Award for any of the prequel trilogy, uh, which is which is shocking and kind of appalling, uh, to be quite honest, to not get yeah. one out of the three. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I was going. What else? I was saying prequel about trilogy stigma. Like, yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, that's that's true, I guess. Um, but I mean, it was nominated for other academy awards even best makeup and i would say that arguably here and we're getting way off on a tangent now um revenge of the sith has the least impressive makeup work of the three <laughs> prequel yeah. trilogies so i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't know yeah. where we're going with that but <laughs> yeah just to say it is interesting because I, I was i was looking on the uh because i had been watching lord of the rings like i think there was a rule that was very unpopular it's like any any uh movie that kind of incorporates uh themes from an older already released movie can't qualify so maybe that kind of affected the prequels and i think they ended up getting rid of it so like you know like like lord of the rings was also nominated i believe but but yeah music mm-hmm. music is good it, it helps <laughs> tell the story so that's yeah. right yeah absolutely absolutely Lucasian world building. I I love it. Like Udapau, it's like a sinkhole. There's water at the bottom, you know. And originally, I think like when farther ahead in the story, uh, when when Obi Wan is kind of shot on his boga, he was gonna fall into the water. It was gonna be like a baptism, and Qui Gon was gonna appear, but. Don't want to get too far ahead, but um, back on Coruscant, we get a hologram that says that uh, on Utapau, Obi-Wan took on Grievous, and the Jedi are kind of like being a little gross, and it's like, go see what, what Palpatine's reaction to this is, you know? So Anakin goes, and 
Palpatine's literally looking at the the Death Star plans at work, like, and it's <laughs> even incorporated into his decor. It's like the more you look at it, it's like everything's red and black, and like there's literally yeah. a Sith fresco on the wall. That's true. I guess um, I guess he is the boss. I guess of of Coruscant and the whole galaxy. So I guess who's gonna who's gonna check him on you know looking at inappropriate stuff at work. So uh, yeah. I guess that's I guess that's true. But but yeah, you get the you get the it's not really an aside. I guess you know it's important to the story. But um, that time with Obi Wan there on on Utapau and and the chase and uh, the the kind of confrontation with uh, Grievous there. I have always really liked grievous kind of as as a character um kind of kind of similar to our other uh villains here in the prequel trilogy didn't really get to spend enough time or learn much about them unfortunately uh which is uh maybe a miss but i always i always really like that I always kind of like this uh the segment and interaction i always thought it was really fun and it looked really great um I, I do wish though that you know after then you know order 66 kicks off you know kind of at the at the tail end of this and they and they you know blast you know it'll be one there and falls down into the water that basically just kind of get lumped in with the rest of order 66 i might have liked just a little bit more so like you mentioned kind of the the force ghost thing with with qui-gon that got cut or um maybe maybe something else but yeah that really kicks off you know kind of the the you know downfall of of what's happening uh here when that when that takes place yeah so what i have written down for my approach to the innermost cave the hero nears the center of the story in the special world. It's that Anakin learns Palpatine is Darth Sidious. What did you have for that step again? I think you you might have already said it. Yeah. So my my approach to the innermost cave I had as um kind of kind of the opera scene, but I I think it really kind of kind of begins there. Um, and goes and you'd mentioned, you know, after the opera scene, he goes and has kind of that interaction uh, with Padme where he's, you know, accepting that he's that he's going on on this mission. And then uh, basically then that next kind of, you know, interaction that he has with Palpatine back in his office is, you know, where Anakin finds out that he is, you know, the this uh, Sith Lord, right, that he is uh, Darsidious, basically. Um, so even though I'd kind of I'd kind of placed it as the opera scene, it's really kind of that whole whole section there where he's he's learning yeah. that you know Palpatine you know knows the ways of the Sith, and then that is kind of confirmed. So really, just that kind of section, I guess, was was my innermost cave. Um, and really, you know, I kind of saw saw the cave as kind of you know more more internal uh, within Anakin. You know, it's it's more tied to his his feelings and emotions than someplace of you know like a like a physical destination that he was going to. I guess. Yeah, it is interesting because sometimes like these steps of the hero's journey, they can be one sentence, they can be a scene, they can be multiple scenes. Um, and that can vary depending uh, who watches it, you know, person to person. So um, I think back in back in my my younger years, I would be like, no. The hero's journey has to be this. It's black and white. It's only this, this, and this. And if you don't think that, you're wrong. Like the, I don't know. I I kind of like get more loosey goosey, and I'm just like, have fun with it, you know. As I as I get older, may, hopefully that comes across. And if not, I I'm sorry for my my failings. But yeah, 
everyone down in the comments send me some words of encouragement as Cassia, you know, yells at me offline to to tell me I was wrong. But no, yeah, it's it is very it's open to interpretation. And uh, like I mentioned, I think it was in the Phantom Menace one that, you know, even, you know, if George Lucas were here talking to us now, you know, he'd probably place those steps as somewhere else or he might not have yeah. even been thinking about it. Right. He's he'd written, you know, so many stories, you know, within this world at this point, you know, might not, not even have been on his mind. He was just trying to get from, you know point a to point b uh here in this story um but yeah i don't i don't know it's it's interesting and that's why stuff like this is so fun i think for us and hopefully for the listeners out there um to kind of go through and break it down and see where where you and i line up and where we're different and then you know people listening at home um you know also you know kind of line up and are different and have different opinions on it and stuff yeah. everyone is correct in saying that r2 really is the hero we should be talking about r2 more instead of anakin at all so I mean, his name starts with an A, so A for R2. <laughs> so at the beginning of the the uh, alphabet, so therefore he is the hero. Um, That's right. That's right. I mean, Anakin also starts with an A. I know how to spell, but like, um, <laughs> never mind. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so, okay. That's okay. His name is about to not start with an A anymore because he is about to become Darth Vader. So uh, yeah. So there you go. There's the the caveat, I guess. Yeah. What is so interesting is like kind of when Palpatine finally kind of says like, I'm a Sith, I'm Darth Sidious, like it is kind of funny that it took the Jedi this long, like when Count Dooku was like, the Senate is led by a Sith Lord. And they're like, huh, who leads the Senate? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but right. they kind of finally figured that out. But what kind of gets Anakin mad is... I don't think that Anakin told Palpatine about his secret marriage with Padme. I think he guessed it, but when when Palpatine says, use my knowledge, I beg you, save your wife, like Anakin is like, what? He turns on his lightsaber, holds it on the Emperor, and we hear the Emperor's theme. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that obviously, you know, kind of tips him off. Um, it's hard to say you know exactly um what palpatine knew about anakin um i know there's kind of some some differences there and some some of the novelizations and and things like that like you know and obviously palpatine you know knew of the the, the tuscan raiders so it's it's very possible that he would have known about padme or maybe he would have known that anakin you know had this you know secret uh, love you know even if he didn't necessarily know that it was uh padme necessarily maybe so uh maybe there is some part of that that he knew but but yeah that definitely appears as though in this film that that really is kind of kind of the 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 point at which you know anakin is is really believing that uh palpatine knows more than he's led on through this thing yeah and so much is happening all at once because then we see uh obi-wan uh defeat revis and i just have to say this because i recently rewatched indy 4 the flames coming out of grievous's eyes they reminded me of arena when she's kind of overwhelmed by the interdimensional mm -hmm. beings knowledge like her her eyes like literally like have flames coming out of her skull yeah that's right yeah absolutely yeah. 
Grievous gets gets blasted there in his in his uh, humanoid heart and catches on fire, <laughs> explodes. Uh, yeah, which is which is pretty fantastic, I guess. So technically, the the separatists are should be leaderless now that Grievous is taken care of by Obi Wan on Utapau. Uh So Anakin goes to Mace and tells him that. He's not going to give up his power because he is Darth Sidious. He's a Sith Lord. And Mace says, if what you have told me is true, you will have gained my trust. I think what Mace should have said is, thank you for telling me that. You have gained my trust. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think if Padme had gone with them, like, do you think a peaceful transfer of power would have happened? What do you think? Um, probably not. I don't think there's any sort of situation where there would have been a peaceful transfer of power. I think Padme yeah. would have would have bit it even faster than uh, Kit Fisto and uh, who was the other one <laughs> that was there uh, did not pose much of a challenge to uh, Kolar, I think. Yeah, to um, uh, Palpatine uh, there in that. Yeah, so I don't I don't think there was uh, was any getting out of out of that uh, ordeal. Maybe had yeah. Anakin been there from the start. I don't know. Probably not. Still probably would have went down. Uh, the same way, so. Yeah. Hayden Christensen was directed in the Padme's rumination scenes. Like, even though Padme, I don't think she has force powers, maybe she gets some, like, force power pregnancy hormones or something, but it's like they can sense each other across the city. It's haunting, and I love that skyscape, you know, just love it. I put hearts around that, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like sundown for the Republic. Like Hayden Christensen was uh, directed um, in that scene to be like, you just killed Padme. Like they're going to take care of the chancellor and you killed her. But right. he mm-hmm. he's like, no, I I can't let that happen. You know, and Anakin comes onto the scene we can debate who won if Palpatine was manipulating Anakin and being like, oh, I'm defenseless. Or if Mace won, like lots of people have said lots of different things. Um, but what's important here is Mace says, I'm going to end this once and for all. Anakin says, you can't, he must stand trial. Mace says he has control of the Senate and of the courts. He's too dangerous to be left alive. And Anakin says, it's not the Jedi way. And what I kind of see is Palpatine and Mace Windu, when it comes down to it, like, they justify themselves, like, saying, like, Mm -hmm. X is too dangerous to be left alive. It's too dangerous. We can't do that. Um, So... He's Anakin's definitely justifying himself, but from his perspective, he's like Jedi and the Sith are the same. So he's going to side with Palpatine, who said he would help him save Padme. Mm -hmm. So that is my ordeal. The hero faces the greatest challenge yet and experiences death and rebirth. Anakin sides with Palpatine against Mace Windu. Yeah, absolutely. So we are we are back online here. Um, that's what I had as well. Um, and yeah, you bring you bring up the good point because the 
the dialogue is is almost like verbatim right from what palpatine tells him you know at that first encounter with count dooku as to what you know mace windu is telling him here um you know against palpatine but you know now anakin has you know kind of a horse in this race so to speak right and and learning this knowledge from uh palpatine so he's seeing it different and he's seeing uh the jedi different. and i guess you could make the argument then that he you know at the at the time you know was respectful of palpatine and his teachings and his um you know his mentorship and he's not felt that way about mace windu so i guess that that is coming into uh, play there too but yeah uh step eight the ordeal um yeah i had uh goes to arrest palpatine Palpatine, but, you know, ends up uh, getting the Jedi killed and, um, you know, step A has this experience of a death and rebirth. So um, obviously we are seeing now the death of Anakin Skywalker and the birth of Darth Vader. Yeah, and I don't know, I feel like some people just have expectations or like they kind of made up their mind before they watch this movie because I'm like, or like Anakin's fall came out of nowhere and I was like, okay like i'm kind of like it builds it might not be the the story they wanted but like if you if you watch one and two like there are steps and uh a culmination you know like and Mm -hmm. if you listen to it like the jedi like don't trust him they're doing sketchy stuff justifying themselves you know so but Anakin does feel bad he asks himself what have I done um and kind of what I got from that scene is like it looks like Anakin feels like he can't turn back like it looks like he's disassociating like he's out of it yeah he he definitely has this uh look of yeah obviously of of remorse but you know also kind of this this look of you know well this this is the road we're going down now right he doesn't uh seem to have have a way back um i do think it maybe kind of moves a little bit quick from from that remorse to uh him at the at the jedi temple maybe i don't i don't know you don't see you don't see that remorse uh linger around uh too much but but yeah you can definitely see kind of the emotional uh turmoil of it and i never really understood the any of the complaints that you know that this happened too fast especially if you're taking into account that it's you know kind of the culmination of these prior two films i guess if you just looked at revenge of the sith like completely as a standalone thing then maybe that's true but um it never was really intended to be any sort of standalone thing it was always meant to be uh you know built on the backs of the phantom menace and attack of the clones so yeah yeah and then palpatine it's so interesting. I don't know where this voice is coming from, but uh, for my reward, um, which is the reward the hero experiences, the consequences of surviving death, I put Anakin is now a Dark Lord of the Sith and Christian Darth Vader. Like, Palpatine is saying, you're a Dark Lord of the Sith. Like, Yoda feels it. And Palpatine is saying the Jedi Council, all the Jedi are extreme like the Jedi Council. We have to eliminate them or else there will be a civil war. So Palpatine is kind of justifying it and he's saying, um, you have to do this. You must do this. So you are strong in the dark side. 
strong enough to save Padme. So I think that's why that's why Anakin he feels like there's a justification coming from Palpatine and uh, Palpatine's telling him like then you'll be strong enough to save her. So you have to you have to commit yourself to the dark side. So yeah. what did you see the reward as? Yeah, I had uh, had the same thing there you know the hero experiences the consequences of surviving death and yeah now he is uh he is a part of the sith and he has access to um you know to palpatine or uh sidious and and the knowledge and you know hopefully the ability and the power now to uh save padme which has been kind of his uh objective uh throughout this thing so if you look at his reward as um being what he's been trying to do and that's to you know keep Padme from dying i think that that now he's he is getting access to that um at least on on some level you know obviously we know he ultimately uh will not be able to achieve that but i think um at the time he's seeing that as his reward did you know there's a deleted scene where before Anakin goes to the the temple to commit Operation Nightfall, um, that he and Palpatine uh, go to a bar on Coruscant for a beverage break. That's yeah, that's right. Absolutely, yeah. It was, uh, it was a deleted scene. Uh, you might have trouble finding it. It's not on the DVD, but yeah, they definitely went uh, to grab themselves a cocktail, a mocktail to celebrate. Uh, you know the the birth, the rise of uh, Darth Vader. Uh, you know uh, everyone's here to celebrate. You know popping champagne, stuff like that. Palpatine knows how to how to throw a party and have a good time. And yeah, I think now that we finished Act Two, uh, I think we probably uh, should celebrate a little bit. Yeah. So we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back to discuss. The rest of Revenge of the Sith. All right. Well, we got ourselves a seat at the bar in Coruscant. You know, we see Palpatine and uh, Darth Vader over there. They're having a good time, but we had to get our own, you know, drinks. You know, it's it's a long road going down uh, the hero's journey for all of this this whole tale of uh, Anakin's uh, fall to the dark side. So we needed to grab ourselves a cocktail and a mocktail, and I think we got some good ones here uh, for everyone this episode. So uh, for myself, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick us off here, uh, Cassie. I'm going with a cocktail. Um, this is a riff on one of my favorite uh, drinks, which is a Manhattan. Uh, but this is called the Coruscant because it is a little bit darker. It has a little bit of uh, uh, underlying uh, sinisterness, a sinisterness, a word. I don't know for sure, but that's what I'm saying it has in it. Um, and this is called the Coruscant. So um, mixing this up is really simple. Um, you're going to put into like a like a shaker tin, uh, two ounces of rye whiskey or a bourbon or um, any kind of whiskey you want. Uh, one ounce of Amara Montenegro, which is uh, kind of this darker Amaro. It's like an aperitif uh, from uh, Italy, I believe, the Amaro Montenegro. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that. I have to look that up. Um, so one ounce of Amaro Montenegro in there, which is a little darker. Normally in uh, Manhattan, you use like a sweet vermouth, which is more red. The Amaro Montenegro is a little bit darker. Uh, so one ounce of that. And then a couple of dashes of an aromatic bitters and a couple of dashes of, I used a spiced cherry bitters. Because like I said, I think there's something a little more sinister afoot here. And I like the the spiced cherry in this. Just gives it a little bit of a fiery uh, depth to it. So uh, go ahead and uh, shake that up or stir that up with some ice and then strain it into a glass. And you've got the Coruscant garnish with a uh, very lovely uh, Luxardo Maraschino cherry, which is which is dark and uh, tasty. Uh, give that a try. It's a really good one. It is my uh, Coruscant. Uh, perfect here as we see the fall of Darth Vader. It's 
pretty umptious and bitter. So the rye whiskey has a lot of um, spice to it. If you're not familiar with rye whiskey, if you've ever had like rye bread, um, it has yeah. that same kind of um, kind of like that spicy ness to it, right? It has uh, kind of more of that taste, and that really comes through um, in the rye whiskey. And then it, it pairs really nicely uh, with this uh, Mara Montenegro. Um, you know, giving it just a little bit of of depth. It has a little bit of um, almost like some like anise and like bitter like like coffee notes to it. So it pairs really nicely with that that spicier uh, rye whiskey, and then the the bitters just kind of round it out, and um, you know, you get a little bit of the that spicy uh, cherryness to it. Almost uh, almost similar to like a like a ginger spice that you'd get from like a like a ginger ale or like a really spicy like ginger beer or something like that so uh this one this is pretty good like i said the manhattan is one of my favorite cocktails and uh this is just a darker uh riff on that so uh, i like it quite a bit well that sounds tempting kind of like the dark side you know (laughs) exactly exactly yeah this is uh what i have is the mustafar mule mocktail i guess it's like m3 m m cubed you know three m's Mm, um mm -hmm. and i was like really struggling to to come up with a good drink for this but i've kind of done some variations of like cranberry juice and ginger beer ginger ale um you actually recommended to me i was like what's what's a good spicy ginger beer and you said q light ginger beer so the Mm -hmm. mustafar mule mocktail is uh one can like 7.5 fluid ounces of q light ginger beer uh four fluid ounces of cranberry juice and juice of half a lime and you can put ice in it if you want to because i'm a baby you know so i'm like i need ice uh (laughs) yeah and if you want to be braver you could put the you could put some like jalapeno juice in it or sereno you know in it but i'm not brave enough for that you know so yeah that's right no that sounds delicious i i love any uh kind of ginger ale or ginger beer um you know mocktail or cocktail it's uh it's one of my jams so i i like that i like that a lot better than the the coconut that's for sure so that sounds delicious so i might have to give uh that a try um and also i just wanted to make mention of this uh and i know it's getting ready to to close down but on the galactic star cruiser there's a cocktail called the fiery mustafarian uh which is uh tequila and mezcal uh stone fruit lime uh, chili and black salt uh, but then it's served with like this little test tube of uh lava extract uh, straight from mustafar and that's pretty fun so you could you could get that on the galactic star cruiser um if you had a chance to to do that before it's getting ready to shut down and it came in a really cool uh little round glass too but uh that was another uh mustafar uh cocktail there i wanted to mention since we're you know since we're sitting at the bar here on on coruscant re re counting our our good times of you know <laughs> betraying the jedi order and <laughs> falling to the dark side i guess yeah we'll always have the galactic star cruiser even if it's not forever the drinks are you know so that's um, right absolutely yeah all right act three the road back the hero returns to the ordinary world or continues to an ultimate destination what i what i put for the road back I kind of wasn't sure whether to put Order 66 as the reward or the road back, but what I kind of justify it as is Anakin's 
journey as Darth Vader, like, it's kind of all the horrible stuff he does. So it's like Order 66. Hmm. He takes care of all the Jedi in the temple, along with the 501st Legion, all the way through, like, what he kind of does on Mustafar to end the war. Like, he shuts down the droid army. So it's kind of like the ordinary world, maybe, is Coruscant. We we kind of started in the stars above Coruscant, and now we get to see, like, what happens to Coruscant and the galaxy at large. Mm, okay, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, on one hand, yeah, you could see as Order 66 as being a potential reward. Um, uh, it's definitely a reward for Palpatine, which I guess would be an interesting uh, hero's journey to go through on uh, Palpatine as well, maybe um, someday in the future. But um, yeah, I think I think that that could be uh, viewed as a reward for Anakin. But my road back, um, I had uh, basically the road back was, you know, re uh, <laughs> getting back into uh, basically the, the Clone Wars, right? He is going uh, to Mustafar there um, as kind of the ultimate destination here in terms of the the road back and I viewed kind of you know the Clone Wars the dealing with the Separatists as kind of the ordinary world uh, which is where I had the ordinary world placed um, you know way back in and step one was you know just doing uh, Clone Wars stuff so really going you know and meeting with the the Trade Federation and stuff there on Mustafar as you know being kind of kind of the ordinary world and Mustafar being this ultimate uh, destination uh, but it's on his way there to uh, end the war and I mean you get the really kind of kind of heartbreaking stuff almost in a way you know and you get get them saying you know that uh, Sidious you know promised us peace because the the war is over but uh, the war is not not really over it was never really meant to meant to be over i guess so yeah it's over the way sidious says it's over and even though like pretty much all the separatist uh leaders we see you know were were corrupt like they get betrayed and from a certain point of view that that is sad you know but Mm -hmm. so Order 66 is declared. Obi-Wan, his clone trooper uh, in charge of his battalion is Commander Cody. I think that Palpatine orders a personalized Order 66 to Commander Cody because he knows that Obi-Wan is, like, powerful. He can maybe either talk Anakin down or or kill him because he knows anakin that well uh the Mm -hmm. the rest of the of the clone troopers kind of just get you know like execute order 66 it's not personalized you know it's like kind of like over zoom it's like you're fired (laughs) you know Uh, right it's like execute order 66 and uh, paired with paired with the music it's sad yoda is like not today satan you know he he escapes (laughs) Sadly, right, yeah. sadly, the the younglings uh, don't escape. You know, there's a lot of nine eleven imagery. Bale kind of sees what's happening, um, and we kind of see after Order sixty six, like Kashyyyk gets new oppressors. Like the the Wookies fought against the CIS. You know. Uh, mm-hmm. with the republic but the republic is now like turning on them 
And then we, we see Anakin and Padme after everything. They're reunited. Anakin tells his perspective. It's very doctored. He's trying to justify it to himself and uh, kind of tell the best version of events to Padme. Padme mm-hmm. believes it, but he says, I'm going to Mustafar. Uh, the Jedi turned on the Republic and the Chancellor. They're criminals. I don't know about Obi-Wan. Hopefully he sides with us. Otherwise, he's, he's wrong. But I'm going to Mustafar to end the war and I will save and protect you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, um, so you got all you got all of the the Order sixty six stuff going on. You mentioned you know kind of the, the little lengthier one there for Probe One, and he kind of goes through all the the different uh, Jedi there on the on the Jedi Council, and you're seeing you know kind of the the various places around the galaxy that they were on different fronts for the the you know the Clone Wars that were that were still going on, and uh, maybe maybe should have been yeah you know even more red flags there for uh, Padme, but I think she is. I think she's kind of I think she's kind of overwhelmed. I think she's kind of recognizing that uh, something bad has happened. And then, you know, ultimately that gets kind of uh, kind of uh, confirmed for her, I guess, when, uh, you know, Obi-Wan ends up showing up, uh, you know, just uh, just pretty quickly thereafter um, after Anakin leaves, because, you know, you get uh, you get Yoda and Obi-Wan are kind of the the sole survivors, you know, at least, at least at the time, you know, coming together and, you know, trying to figure out really what the, what the plan of attacks going to be or the plan of actions going to be, uh, now that, you know, the dark Lord has taken over, uh, by all accounts, you know, the entire galaxy, where, where do we go from here? So. And because you love R2, I, I did notice that R2 kind of speaks to C3PO and, C-3PO is like, he's probably under a lot of stress, but um, R2 noticed Anakin wasn't okay. He wasn't joking. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe R2 could have been a therapist, you know? (laughs) That's right. Yeah. More if everyone would have listened to R2 from the start, we could have avoided uh, this whole mess for sure. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And when I rewatched The Phantom Menace, I think I just literally learned, you know, in 2023 that Naboo doesn't have a molten core. It's a hollow mm. planet. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then I, I kind of realized like Naboo and Padme is the opposite of D- Darth Vader and Mustafar because Mustafar is just a volcano planet mm-hmm. and um, Naboo doesn't even have a molten core. I wonder if they have tectonic plates. I don't know how that works, but I was like, literally, Mustafar is hell. It's the opposite of Naboo. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It is uh, very much the opposite of Naboo. And Anakin uh, gets there, I guess, ends the war. And then it's just going to be uh, a matter of uh, waiting for uh, Padme and uh, Obi-Wan to show up. So, you know, Obi-Wan and Yoda, they're at the at the Jedi Temple you know, kind of sifting through the remains of what uh, Darth Vader has uh, left in his wake. Uh, they're able to, you know, uh, change the signal or scramble the signal to, you know, to keep any remaining Jedi from from going back there. And Bale has to has to sneak them off. But um, I really like kind of the interaction then you get with um, Obi-Wan uh, here with Padme. And he he asks her, you know, if, um, you know, Anakin was the, the father of, you know, her children or your pregnancy and um you know she uh kind of confirms it for him um 
So you're really left, I guess, kind of wondering like how much of that he knew or did he know or did he want her to just say it and acknowledge it or um, really what the deal is with that. Yeah. Yeah. Padme doesn't want to believe it. I think maybe subconsciously she kind of knows that maybe Anakin turned to the dark side or is uh, maybe justifying himself. But mm -hmm. consciously it's horrible. She doesn't want to come to that conclusion. So she's not gonna realize it until it's maybe too late. And I think partially uh, too for Obi-Wan, it's it's him coming to uh, kind of his own realizations here too, right? That he, you know, even if he did know, um, not necessarily that he that he allowed it to happen, but he wasn't more you know, supportive or encouraging of it or, or something. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot of, you know, everyone kind of dealing with their failures, um, you know, in this instance, you know, obviously we have Anakin who's turned to, to Darth Vader, who's, you know, you know, immediately propelled into doing kind of these, these horrible, horrible things. But you also, you know, you have, you have Padme, you have, you know, R2 uh, there that you had mentioned had, had witnessed it and had gone along you know, on all these adventures with, with Anakin, you have Obi-Wan who, you know, was ultimately, I guess, responsible for the upbringing of, of Anakin. So it's a lot of, you know, feelings and emotions and, um, you know, remorse and, you know, second guessing and uh, doubting yourself and things in this moment. So kind of as Anakin is ending the war, kind of doing the actions, uh, Palpatine is, speaking it and Anakin I guess Darth Vader is like the one kind of doing the actions um so there's a special se session of Congress and the Empire is born as the Republic dies and Ian McDermott um he's just the highlight I think of the politics and political theater in the prequel trilogy and there's that quote so this is how Liberty dies with thunderous applause. And it's just sad because like it parallels like real historical instances and even some maybe present instances. And mm -hmm. sometimes it, it's hard because it's like, is this just an inevitable repeating pattern? But I think like it doesn't matter if it's an inevitable repeating pattern, you you do good things. And I don't think any of us are going to be the one person who changes the fate of the whole world, you know. But I think, like, you can change the world for one person, a couple of people, maybe your community. Like, even in, in the face of, like, natural disasters or wars, like, it's better to do good things, not because you want to feel like you're an awesome, invincible hero, but to help other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, kind of, kind of summarized there in the, you know, and kind of that interaction that they have in the, in the apartment, right. Where the, you know, Obi-Wan was coming to, you know, basically tell Padme what, you know, what he had done and, and how he had, had failed. And, you know, part of that, it's, it's almost like a, almost kind of like a confessional, I guess, for, for Obi-Wan uh, there in that moment, which is um, kind of a, 
a neat kind of kind of tie. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, when we get into the heresies of uh, Revenge of the Sith. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that that you know that stuff is, is very true for the heroes. And then you know ultimately, you know, Padme is going to go and uh, I guess uh, confront Darth Vader, talk reason to Darth Vader to say, you know, this is this is not a path that you have to go down. Right? There's there's still time. I know you did some bad things. Remember, uh, I stand by you doing all sorts of bad things, <laughs> Tuscan Raiders. I can, yeah. I can get over this um, too. Uh, so she is on her way to uh, Mustafar and Obi Wan. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a pretty pretty clever individual. He's going to stow away there aboard her ship, and you know, kind of kind of get to Mustafar here for our, our final final uh, confrontation. Yeah. After Anakin uh, kills the Separatist leaders and and hits the switch on the droids we do see him with crying um i think he's too far this isn't really what he wants but he's justifying himself in doing it and so padme goes to mustafar uh obi-wan stows away um and padme and anakin talk and padme says obi-wan wants to help us and then she realizes like anakin has changed this isn't anakin it's the dark side version of Anakin and Anakin's like don't you turn against me too and Obi-Wan has terrible timing because <laughs> he shows up and like Padme literally had no idea Obi-Wan was there and I think like if like Obi-Wan could have done that differently maybe Anakin wouldn't have force choked her like Anakin shouldn't have force choked her but like maybe Obi-Wan should have been thinking about Padme's safety there. <laughs> yeah, he was not putting uh, Padme's safety at a uh, at top priority, um, which I, I guess is just meant to to kind of illustrate, right? So, you know, Anakin has gone down this dark path, become Darth Vader in the efforts to to save Padme, and then ultimately, you know, is is here at the at the very end, you know, uh, basically trying to trying to kill her there with this uh, force choking her. Um, because you know anger and hate has you know already infiltrated uh his being uh so much here now as Darth Vader so um yeah and you have you have Obi-Wan there he kind of kind of comes out on the on the ramp it's a very very dramatic way to introduce yourself i will say uh you know i see that uh you two are having a bit of a spat i'm just going to stand here uh you know and come down this ramp so uh maybe that rubbed him the wrong way i don't know for sure but uh basically uh there you have kind of the uh the back and forth between them with uh, Anakin ultimately saying if you're not uh with me you're my enemy and uh that's going to start here our battle of the heroes yeah, Anakin versus Obi-Wan. And I did mention Matthew Stover's Revenge of the Sith adaptation. Like, be sure to check out the sections, uh, the dark. This is how it feels to be Anakin Skywalker forever. But especially Anakin versus Obi-Wan. And is it maybe the best duel in Star Wars? Maybe Duel of the Fates is technically a little bit better, but it, it is my favorite. Because it's just like, blue versus blue and the orange background of Mustafar really really kind of highlights that blue and I think it's like one of the longest fights ever but it it's character driven and you kind of just see Anakin is like probably the better fighter and more aggressive and Obi-Wan is kind of like his defensive style you know mm -hmm. they know each other so well 
And then we also see Yoda versus Palpatine. And it's kind of like the ultimate Jedi versus the ultimate Sith. But kind of what happened is the Sith prepared for this. And the Jedi regressed. And Palpatine ends up winning. I think he thinks Yoda's dead. But he doesn't mm -hmm. check to make absolutely sure. Because he senses Vader is in danger. Anakin versus Obi-Wan, that duel isn't decided yet. And we do get some character moments with uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin. They kind of just look at each other uh, as they're floating over the lava. And Obi-Wan says, I have failed you, Anakin. I have failed you. And like I mentioned, Anakin is the aggressor, is the aggressor here, but he's overconfident. And then we, we kind of see... Obi-Wan take the high ground and kind of like cuts off Anakin's limbs and he's on the shore of the lava river, river of lava. And we just see the ultimate uh, breakdown of this, of this brotherhood brothers in Qui-Gon and Anakin mm -hmm. just screams, I hate you. And all Obi-Wan can say to that is, you are my brother, Anakin. I loved you. So where are you kind of at right now? Yeah, so I had um, this section here as uh, my step 11, uh, the resurrection, uh, which is the hero experiences a final moment of death and rebirth. So they appear when they reenter uh, the ordinary world. So yeah, so I had my resurrection section basically here as the uh, the battle of the heroes, um, you know, kind of culminating then with... Uh, uh, Darth Vader being put into his suits and, you know, basically being born, you know, kind of kind of Frankenstein's monster style uh, almost there on that, uh, you know, kind of operating uh, theater. So I think for me, that's kind of the kind of the resurrection there where, you know, Anakin is is truly, uh, truly gone then kind of at this point uh, laying on the on the side of that lava river, uh, you know, you know, professing uh, his hate, um, you know, Padme is. Uh, pretty much gone at this point uh you know their brotherhood is is broken and he's betrayed everything that he you know had promised to uh take care of so uh that's what i viewed as the resurrection but uh what about you what did you think here about the uh the battle of the heroes did that fall into your step 11 or so uh, anakin versus obi-wan culminates and anakin is burned and we see vader is built as padme gives birth on Polis Massa, which kind of evokes 2001, a space odyssey. And mm -hmm. if you, I was able to kind of hear it when I watched it on my TV rather than my laptop. I don't know, like maybe if you have headphones and you can hear it, you can hear Anakin's heartbeat and it stops uh, as the Darth Vader helmet goes down on Anakin. So mm -hmm. I kind of interpreted it as. Anakin and Padme die, so Vader may live. So it's like Anakin literally, Anakin, the good person he was, dies along with Padme. So Vader is born slash created. And this is my head canon. And I wish it were like explicitly canon canon. Even if George Lucas says this isn't canon, I'm going to consider it canon. <laughs> I don't believe that Padme died of sadness. I believe that Palpatine <laughs> drained her life force and is putting it into Vader 
like it's a mm. Faustian bargain. Um, and you, you can literally hear the heartbeat stop uh, when the mask goes on. So uh, mm-hmm. that's how I interpret it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, dying of sadness is probably, uh, it's probably like on the, the worst 10 ways to, to go maybe <laughs> to be, yeah. to be sad. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. I like, I like that headcanon. Yeah. And that basically, um, you know, they're uh, dying so that, uh, Anakin or Darth Vader could, could live on. So, so that's fair. I mean, you could say that, um, you know, Padme had to die so that the, the twins could, could be born, you know, and in, in order to, uh, fulfill the prophecy, I suppose, of uh, bringing balance to the to the galaxy. Maybe maybe that's a, a way to look at it there too. But um, but yeah, that's getting in. Then I guess to kind of my uh, step twelve, which is the return with the elixir. The hero returns with something to improve the ordinary world. Um, I guess you could say on one hand, maybe it's the uh, it's the Darth Vader suit here for uh, Darth Vader slash Anakin. Maybe that's the that's the elixir for him. Um. I put you could also maybe kind of view uh they're looking out there at the window at the at the Death Star being built. Maybe that is the elixir here for Darth Vader, you know, kind of this this ultimate uh super weapon. Um because really Darth Vader doesn't get what, you know, or what Anakin had had wanted through this, right? So the elixir really is something that that avoids uh Anakin and Darth Vader because, you know, if his ultimate objective here was to keep, you know, Padme from dying, uh that's the case. So um I really then I guess didn't look at those as elixirs for Darth Vader, but the the birth of the twins was the elixir. You know, even though he doesn't have any knowledge of them, I think that that is uh, kind of the the ultimate uh, you know sort of sort of reward here for um, Darth Vader. Even though it's you know going to take time to to play out, I think that the the twins being born was the elixir here. Yeah, I think I think I'm kind of similar to you. Um, one thing I remember about skipping school to see Revenge of the Sith, um, even though I was like, I had my parents check me out. So like, I technically wasn't skipping, but I was like, yeah, I'm so bad. I'm skipping school. The last, the last class period to see Revenge of the Sith on opening day, but people clapped when the mask went on Darth Vader. And I was kind of like, that's interesting. Cause it's like, he literally killed people. He killed children, you know, um, the hot take. And I'm, I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, it's kind of a tragedy of a, of a hero, or I guess it's, it's also like an iconic mask I get, but like, maybe it's just cause like he did go through a hero's journey, even though he's a villain, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. so, so I was like, that's a weird moment, but whatever. I don't know what it means, but, uh, with with Padme's dying breath, she says there's still good in him. And we kind of see some Frankenstein parallels in the creation of Darth Vader. And we just see Sidious smile. Darth Vader kind of realizes that Padme is dead. And maybe he killed her, you know. And we see Padme's funeral. It's sad Naboo sounds you know like she just mm, looks like mm-hmm. she's a painting and she's drowning but uh, they needed Padme to look like she was dead so then uh, Darth Vader and Palpatine wouldn't be looking for any of the children so they, they just think the children are well actually they only thought it was a child because like 
women's health care didn't exist in Star Wars. Like they're like, no ultrasound <laughs> for us. You know, we that's, just that's right. They come when they come. <laughs> uh, so the twins, uh, Luke and Leia, uh, we see Leia taken to Alderaan uh, to be raised by Bale and uh, his wife there. And then we see yep. Luke taken. Oh, I have to make a joke. And <laughs> Bale kind of said, like, yeah, we always wanted a baby girl and she'll be loved. And then it's like, and we'll drop Luke off on Tatooine where he will be tolerated. <laughs> you know, he's right. not going to be a prince. He'll just be like a farmer and tolerated. <laughs> that's that's um, right. Yeah, I love um, I love uh, <laughs> Bale. It was like, yeah, we'll we'll take the we'll take the girl. We don't want <laughs> we you, you know we can't that. we can't afford in our palace to take both of the kids. You know they don't even know that they were twins. So what would it matter if I took both of them? So <laughs> I do. They might kiss I do. In the future. That's I, the result, I do. You know? I do love that. That's that's right. I had to set up a a potential love pitfall, I guess, for yeah. for future installments of the of the uh, saga. So yeah. C-3PO is mind-wiped, and Leia, as we said, was taken to a beautiful Ansel Adams world and to be loved, and Luke is tolerated on Tatooine, and we see Vader and uh, Palpatine look at the Death Star that's being built, and but we we don't end on the Empire. We end on on a binary sunset on Tatooine with hope. That's right. Yeah, it's our our tale of a uh, tragedy and the downfall of uh, Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, it ends with the uh, some the the binary sunset there, and uh, yeah, you're left optimistic for the future. Um, and I I do know that the the twins had to be separated in case they found one, there would still be the other one. Um, so <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, return with the elixir, like you said, is the hero returns with something to improve the ordinary world. So I guess it's kind of like a villain's hero's journey. Darth Vader is there to oversee the new empire with Emperor Palpatine. Unknown to Vader, the Force is balancing out the galaxy with Luke and Leia. Yep. Yeah. So see, I got I got well ahead of you here in my uh, hero's journey, but you know, by the end, we uh, we caught back up together, so that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how it was with uh, one and two. So, uh, yeah. That was like maybe the longest episode we did. I promise I will uh, edit it because <laughs> I I was the one who's like, we're doing it now. Uh, that's literally what I said. I, I yelled as it. No, just kidding. Uh, I would never do that. Um, you're doing you're doing a text to type and you yelled at your phone and then it, it yelled at me um, is what happened. All but caps, you know. That- that's right. That's that's okay. I think um I think on one hand, yeah, we we did uh we did get to this, you know, on a, you know, behind the behind the scenes of the Old Republic podcast. We did get to this uh pretty quick, but I think that that's that's kind of good in a way because you're you're kind of in that mindset of the hero's journey um and you're we're talking about, you know, like this trilogy of movies, so they're kind of, you know, really feeding into one another. So I think in a lot of ways it's helpful to go, you know, kind of, you know, record them, you know, pretty quickly even though you know, you at home might not be listening to this, you know, for for several weeks after the attack of the clones episode uh, came out. But but yeah, I think when you're talking about stuff like this, it's, it's helpful to kind of get get those wheels spinning 
uh, so to speak, and then, you know, kind of kind of ride that train as long as as long as you can keep the keep the creativity and that thought process going the right way. So. So what was your background with with Revenge of the Sith? Um, so Revenge of the Sith. So I mentioned in the Attack of the Clones episode that that was kind of my my Star Wars film that I had seen uh, probably probably the least from the time in my life where it was. Uh, Revenge of the Sith was the opposite. So this came out in 2005 and I had graduated from college in 2004. So I was out into the world with my like first like quote unquote real job um, and things like that. So I had a lot more um, kind of disposable income. I didn't have school and stuff, you know, so I could I could go and I could watch Revenge of the Sith. I could go to the store and buy uh, all the Revenge of the Sith stuff that I wanted. And there was a ton of stuff uh, for Revenge of the Sith. It was, uh, you know, kind of this culmination of the the prequel trilogy. I think uh, partially it was probably Lucasfilm. Probably it was partially everyone else who was trying to ride uh, that money train. We're like, this this is probably going to be the last Star Wars forever. So let's uh, yeah. make as much money off of stuff as we can. And uh, they did. It was similar to The Phantom Menace, maybe not quite as much, but it felt like it was, you know, almost as much as that. Um, and I remember, yeah, I absolutely loved it. They kept just coming out with waves and waves of the toys. So I would I would go my my wife, my to be wife and I would would go to the store and I'd always look and and see and, you know, just trying to collect all this uh revenge of the sith stuff because yeah looking back at 2005 like i said you know we didn't know if there was ever going to be you know more star wars again right george lucas went back and and did this he made no real indication that he had any desire to go beyond uh doing that and uh you know who knows you know how much we're going to get so it was really soaking it in and uh just enjoying the the ride of revenge of the sith i thought but uh what about you what what was your time like other than you know skipping school and you know i don't know probably uh probably getting uh i don't know the probably not detention you said you get your parents signed you out so you're probably okay but uh what was your experience like with it yeah so i i told everyone i was skipping school but like i i was checked out with 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 a couple of my friends to just kind of see it opening day in theater and i think i maybe saw it three times in theaters and i was happy because like the prequels were very maligned when they came out but this one was was reviewed better so that made me happy and like you said like nothing will ever ever compare to uh the phantom menace like release like when literally every, probably every food item in a grocery store was covered in, like, the Phantom Menace characters and stuff. But this mm-hmm. this kind of got up there, you know? Like, there were lots of characters like uh, Yoda, the clone troopers, and Darth Vader. It was kind of like everyone was just so excited for Anakin to become Darth Vader. Um I ended up getting a Lego Anakin Starfighter, the yellow one. Mm, um, mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm. think yellow is a striking color, you know, and I got a Yoda lightsaber and I usually don't go as far out with merchandise as as some other people, you know, but uh, it was, I think it was a better time during the prequels, but there was kind of like the shadow, like, is this the end of like Star Wars? Will will there ever be another one? And like, I think Lucas like justifiably so was kind of like sick and done with it. Like you know, it's like I made mm-hmm. these 
prequels everyone says i ruined their childhood so like i'm done guys um yeah but eventually that wouldn't end up being the case but i think there were like there was like gonna be the force unleashed in the future that was maybe announced then or maybe soon after but there were like books and comic books and stuff but i was kind of like huh maybe maybe star wars is over and i think like kind of like after middle school and like kind of in high school i was like i was always very inspired by george lucas i love the stories and i was like where did he get the idea for star wars and um i kind of looked it up online and it said that flash gordon and buck rogers were very inspirational as well as the hidden fortress by akira kurosawa uh, was Mm -hmm. very inspirational but also that uh the hero with a thousand faces by joseph campbell about the hero's journey was very inspirational so i was like huh i've never heard of that it looks like kind of a hard book but i was like back in the day because i I was in high school and like not as much disposable income i was like can i get this it's kind of expensive it's like 20 dollars on amazon is it okay if i order a book on amazon which just shows how much time has passed like yeah because like amazon is just like kind of like everywhere it does everything now but Mm-hmm. That kind of got me started on, I guess, my journey of falling in love with uh, mythic storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. See, it's all come uh, full circle, you know, all the way from uh, 2005 to uh, 2023, uh, finally. And then, you know, Revenge of the Sith led you to, you know, the hero of a thousand faces. And uh, that has, you know, kind of propelled uh, you and yourself on to, you know, your storytelling and uh, stuff like that to to come full circle to, you know, use that that book and that knowledge you got from the book to go on and reanalyze it. Yeah. And I don't know, just like looking at the prequel trilogy, even though I, I kind of have always loved it, like. Just seeing it from the mythic kind of Campbellian perspective, like each chapter as a whole, like I can kind of like, even if like some parts weren't executed well, like I can be like, oh, that's why they made that decision there, you know, and uh, it helped me appreciate and love the prequels more. Yeah, absolutely. If you can, if you can think about them a little bit more analytically, and I think, you know, if it's not you know, been obvious here and, you know, talking about the sequel trilogy, you know, it's a trilogy of films that both you and I uh, really like, but, um, you know, looking at something analytically can kind of help you, you know, understand the the decisions that were made and the directions that things uh, went um, as well. So it's, it's useful in understanding the story and also useful sometimes in understanding the way a story was told. Yeah. So I think that's like maybe one of the longest episodes we've done. And like I said, I promise I will edit it and maybe take off like 10 minutes. <laughs> Hopefully everyone out there uh, listening at home has enjoyed uh, kind of going on this uh, hero's journey uh, with us here through uh, Revenge of the Sith. We appreciate uh, everyone for tuning in. Uh, stay tuned for uh 
the Revenge of the Sith uh, Heresies. We're going to be talking about that here in the not-so-distant future, so make sure you uh, check in on that, and then we'll probably be back with uh, kind of a hero's journey, um, maybe like a not not a full on analysis like this uh this marathon we've we've just been on for for each yeah. of the prequel films but you know kind of kind of more you know blown out just kind of kind of going through uh where we think the the steps land on you know kind of the prequel trilogy so uh stay tuned for that and thanks so much for checking this one out we definitely appreciate it yeah may the force be with you Public podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. And if you want to connect with the podcast on Twitter, we can be found at Old Republic Pod. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at Astro underscore Droid underscore. You can find us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Old Republic Podcast. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Dennis S. Mowers at dennissmowersmusic.com. This episode of the Old Republic Podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the Force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now. <laughs>